Hello. This is Joya Italiano. This is Jeff Ekman. And welcome to Oh, That's a Thing, a podcast about the real science and sci-fi movies. Even if you haven't seen the movie, don't worry. We use the movies as jumping off points for some pretty awesome and real topics. That's right. We're not experts at all. We're actually just a couple of goons who Googled some stuff. But this stuff is pretty cool. Yeah, so sit back, relax, maybe learn a thing or two. Here we go. Here we go. Input. Need input. Disassemble. Oh, hi. (laughs) Disassemble. We watched Short Circuit. Short Circuit. A classic movie. (laughs) Yes, it is. From 1986. Written by the guys who wrote Tremors, Ghost Dad, and Wild Wild West. Whoa, I'm going to mention Wild Wild West later on. You are? (laughs) Oh, man. For bad reasons. But anyway, it was directed by the guy who did War Games. And he also did a bunch of other movies. Like Saturday Night Fever, which Johnny Five dances to at one point. Reference it. He now does a lot of network TV directing and stuff. And this is John John Badham? Yes, John Badham. Mm. Let's take a listen to the trailer. Let's do it. It is quite simply the most sophisticated robot on Earth. At Nova Robotics, the future is in good hands. Originally, I designed it as a marital aid. But artificial intelligence has gotten too smart. It's malfunctioning. It might not do anything. But it could decide to blow away anything that moves, couldn't it? Number five is alive. Welcome to my planet. Me input. Number five is alive. Nice software. Beautiful. Short circuit. I am alive. Nice software. (laughs) My fucking God. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry, guys. That's in regard to Ali Sheedy naked in the bathtub. Yeah, her software. Boobs. (laughs) He meant hardware to get technical, but. (laughs) This movie was way winkier than I recall, although I was a child, so of course everything seemed more sincere. Wasn't it? Wasn't this supposed to be one that was a lot more serious and then kind of became... I thought it was. like, well, Because I think part of it is that I watched the sequel more as a kid than See, I did I've the original. I've never seen the sequel. The sequel's fucking stupid right. in an amazing way. Yeah. But like, it's Fisher really Stevens bad. Fisher Stevens is the star, yes. Yeah, Fisher <laughs> Stevens in Indian Face is the star right. of the sequel. Aye, aye, aye. Along with Michael McKeon and a bunch of other... It, like, it, It's lost in New York and it's... Right. <laughs> Totally. It's pretty, but so because that one was so silly, it, it had always been said that, we're, or at least to me, where it's like, but the first one's like a little bit more oh, like yeah. takes it seriously and stuff. And watching this, it was like, what do you no mean? No way. Yeah. What do you mean? Oof. Well, so the script originally called for a bunch of stop motion animation, but then at least John uh-huh. Badham was, he opted to use practical effects. <laughs> Which I definitely think was a better play, because could you imagine this movie, but with like shitty claymation from the 80s? That would look terrible. No. But did you notice at the beginning, too, the, you see like the close-up of flowers, and then the robots come and trample the flowers, a la James Cameron? Oh. <laughs> I was like, that is so James Cameron. Like, show nature, and then technology destroying nature. Yeah. Okay, so his name isn't even Johnny in this movie. He names himself Johnny at the end, but so his name's number five. Right. So every part of number five and the other robots was built 
built to have a specific logical purpose behind them, right? Because there's like the bartender robot and the war robots and whatnot. So originally... <laughs> I yeah, thought they were all all-purpose robots and that no. they could all do war and mix drinks. No, that's what's crazy. So Because originally it was like a source of contention between Batam and the robotics designer, Sid Mead, because Mead insisted on giving Johnny eyes uh-huh. so that he could express emotion visually. Uh-huh. So his the little like eyelids constantly fluttering about they were created with the explanation that they were sun guards and camera coverings that's how he's able to be like look at me it's his little lens cap yeah and then like a bunch of the tricks that number five does on screen were done using pretty simple sleight of hand prop effects like when he speed reads they just blew the pages with an air hose okay yeah and then there's like a scene where he flips a coin and they use a wire and they just you can see the wire could, in I, that I, scene they don't even try to <laughs> that is just straight up like the most <laughs> awkwardly flipping coin i've ever seen totally it's like super slow and then you could tell when you look at it that they reverse the footage because right. like the trip up is the same as the trip down it's it's yeah. very something very looks well wrong about it but he needed to be that you know tv character that he'd been watching because that's what he's motivated by is what he's yeah seen on th- TV. that's a thing that like is so kind of there in this movie but not consistent enough where all like a lot of the, his lines of dialogue are things that he learned from watching tv or in old movies exactly. and stuff like that but then it's like it's just very inconsistent in this. Exactly. Like, he needs input. And then there's, like, peppered throughout some of the philosophy of him learning be, to be alive and, like, right. learning what death is and consciousness is. But mostly it's an opportunity for him and Ali Sheedy to, like, dance to, to dance Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. <laughs> More than a woman. Yeah, and he just gets to, like, make <laughs> eggs. But, you know. It, but like, poorly and but silly. He's not good at it because he doesn't have the hand-eye coordination, which he totally does. Wait, if he can mix the gin and tonic, shouldn't he have been, like, I nailing know. that breakfast? I don't know. He got zapped by lightning, and now he's alive, so. Well, <laughs> alive people aren't good at cooking. Right. I don't know. <laughs> Fucking Gutenberg. There's, it's just like Gutenberg, Gutenberg City in this. I feel like that was one of the changes. If ever there was a change to make from, you know, a serious look at the consciousness of AI to just being complete silliness, it's adding a Gutenberg. <laughs> right. Well, he's because he's so excited. He's supposed to be playing this character who's like really introverted and, and a loner, but he's that charismatic Gutenberg, you oh, know, yeah. like you can't. He's getting not love that guy. Now, my favorite scene in this entire movie is, of course, when number five is driving the Nova van after he steals it and he's driving along the highway and he hears the Elder Barge song, Who's Johnny? Yep. Fun fact the original choice of song for that section was the Dire Straits song, Money for Nothing. Oh, okay. (laughs) And the chicks for free? Yeah. Why? I don't know. I don't know. But. Getting the rights to use that song was deemed way too costly. So they they ended up using Who's Johnny, which, as you'll hear in a moment, was so worth it. I mean, now, Jeff, before recording today, I sent you that music video. Now, everybody needs to go see this right now. Yeah. Because this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. I'll I'll put it on our Instagram this week, but right now, actually, before you proceed, I need you to stop. Pause the podcast. Go watch Who's Johnny by El DeBarge, the video. It has... (laughs) 
a cardboard <laughs> Steve Gutenberg in it because he clearly didn't show up, but real right. Ali Sheedy's there. She's there. Someone's on trial. DeBarge is on trial he's for on something. He's on trial, and they keep asking him who's Johnny, and he's like just like yeah. saying who's Johnny back yeah. to them. And I don't know. Like, and then but, but, the judge know. blows up. Yeah, go watch it yourself. It's, it's so absolutely worth it. Yeah, different vibe if it would have been money for nothing. Money for nothing. Yeah, what are you? (laughs) (laughs) That's so crazy. What a bad choice. Well, as a mini starter for Mm -hmm. this episode, I wanted to talk about this bar that I went to in Vegas, which has a robotic bartender, because we were talking about the gin and tonics and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And basically what it looks like is two giant arms, like car assembly arms, and there are 152 bottles of liquor suspended from the ceiling, and they can make any drink you want, mix it up with some Tom Cruise flair. Sure. (laughs) Some cocktail. Yep. And there you go. Like, it's the robot is named Tipsy. And we'll go order the drink, and and it's perfectly made. How do you feel about that? Uh, why not? Who cares? I mean, we're not worried not... about bartenders' jobs being taken away. Well, I mean, as a, we are as about any job that a robot could do, right? But but that's such a isn't. I mean, there look, is something human about like you know the bartender is kind of the therapist. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Like having yeah. worked in bars for the almost the past decade, I'm like. I've seen too many people, too many regulars at that right. fucking bar talking to the bartender just being like, you get me. Yeah, I don't think, <laughs> my guess is that it'll probably be big chain bars yeah. that will have this kind of thing it and t- that there will always be a market for people who want to go and like be served a drink by somebody. I mean, it totally makes sense in terms of like the service bar, right? Because right. like if, if like being a server, you go there and you're like, hey, bozo, I don't need you talking to a guy over there just because right. he's going to tip you. I need my drinks. Right, Scott. exactly. So exactly. I could be like, hey, robot man, can you take care of me? They can earn their tips over here. Uh-huh. So... Never mind. I've changed my tune. You're back around? (laughs) Well, because, yeah, totally. I mean, bartending absolutely is that crazy muscle memory Mm -hmm. that a robot is going to do better unless, you know, you have just that taste and you know how to design Well, that's also uh, something to be said for, like, you, uh, a human with taste would still have to program what the drink would be. It would Mm -hmm. just be that you can definitively get the same mixture of drink every time. Exactly. If you, I mean, the the staples, like a fucking old fashioned, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. gin and tonic, obviously, it's like bartenders measure these alcohols out anyway. You might as well do it faster. I totally get for those high volume clubs. Oh, clubs would be great because people just need their booze. But I think like a cool dive bar that like has like that kind of a vibe, yeah. they'll always still be there. Right. You mean like a hag- haggard, grizzled bartender? Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> you get to ask like, let me tell you a story, pal. Yeah, totally. <laughs> All right. So Johnny Five speed reads in this film. Oh, yes, he does. He's very good at absorbing input. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wanted to look into speed reading because it seemed like not something people could really do and like maintain comprehension, but you I know, wanted to look into it. I actually took a course in it no oh, way. years and years ago, oh, and it's it. like really I, not a skill that I maintain because sure. I'm an incredibly slow reader, uh-huh. but the effect of it is like learning to use your peripheral vision yeah. in order to take in all of a sentence at once. Oh, that's that's called chunking. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what yeah. I remember is like keep your eye trained on like mm-hmm. the middle of the line, and you can and take then in you multiple can, lines, mm-hmm, and then you just keep going down. And then there's like various techniques of trying to get your brain to take in all the information at once. It's, Absolutely, I'm terrible. You're at it. learned. No, <laughs> well, there's a few different methods, but some speed reading techniques involve suppressing your inner speech. 
while okay. you while you read that's so that oh, it's yeah. yeah they they yeah others teach you to chunk or take in multiple lines at a time mm. and then others eliminate the need to move your eyes at all now decades worth of psychological research and recent insights into the visual processing system seem to confirm that doing things quicker generally means that you're not doing them as accurately just overall okay so the idea is yeah sure you could learn to read faster but you won't necessarily understand what you've read nearly as well if at all okay let's put this into context now most educated people can read between 250 to 400 words per minute with good comprehension that's approximately the same rate as an auctioneer speaks Okay. Wow, the one and the two and the three, the one, two. That's what they say. That's what yeah, they yeah. sound like. <laughs> so let's go. Once, go twice, go twice. It's whole. <laughs> exactly. See, even us trying to speak like you're like, that's a skill I do not have. Now, for comparison, the rate of a normal conversation between two people falls between 150 and 160 words per minute. Quite okay. a bit lower. That's also the recommended rate for podcasts and audiobooks. Oh. Guys, so check that rate. Check that rate. Slow us down if you need. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that makes normal reading an enormously complex process, starting from the symbols that the eye takes in to the cognitive processing that goes on in the background. So it becomes really obvious after a while that no human being can really read 1,000 or 2,000 words per minute and maintain mm -hmm. the same level of comprehension as 200 to 400 words. Right. Also consider reading and writing are, quote unquote, cognitively unnatural. So like parents don't have to teach an infant to speak. It's just instinctual. But right. writing and reading is not something that's just evolutionarily... Mm in our favor, right? It's it's not just a purely visual process. Reading and writing piggyback on language and speech. So there's all these assumptions, like you have to have some grasp of speech in order to read or write at all. So wow. almost all speed reading techniques ignore or at least distort the processes that go into reading and comprehending. So let's start with the subvocalization thing, the like you kind of talk in your head which is honestly how i prefer to read totally because i like to like fully like let the scene play out if you will yeah exactly you know? <laughs> so so again just to clarify that's the inner speech that you hear when you read silently mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily refer to whether you like mouth the words as you speak or not it's just, i mean i say it out loud in my head yeah exactly. my mouth doesn't actually move but yeah. mine i used to as a kid oh, and yeah? then my <laughs> teacher shamed me and now it just happens inside my mouth like <laughs> like on the outside you don't know but on the inside my tongue's your like tongue's going crazy. it's so weird <laughs> I'll be like, I still do that. That's wild. Now, okay. We all learn to speak and listen before we learn to read. So almost everyone tends to access the sounds of speech when they read. That's why we do that subvocalization. Mm -hmm. So for proponents of speed reading, this subvocalization is a disposable holdover from when humans learn to read aloud. And so if you suppress it, according to the theory, it'll reduce the drag time of the process that it takes for your little subvocalization to happen in the reading process. And then process. you read faster. Yeah. Here's the problem. When scientists tried to get people to stop subvocalizing by either having them constantly hum while reading or by playing a tone when a sensor measured activity in the subject's vocal cords, comprehension dropped a ton. Mm. So it just suggests that when people recognize words visually, they access the sounds of those words to understand them. So don't stop subvocalizing, guys. It's, yeah. it's part of our brains. Another yeah. another method is targeting the quote unquote time sucks that slowed down reading. So there's regressions, which is those are the quick unconscious rereadings we do when we don't understand something the first time. There's something called saccades, which are the rapid eye movement between fixation points. So from word to word, mm -hmm. basically. And then there's a brief 250 millisecond pause, which is called a fixation. 
So there's this company called Spritz that uses a method known as RSVP, Rapid Serial Visual Presentation. Mm -hmm. And it eliminates these eye movements by presenting one word at a time for you, highlighting what it calls the optimal recognition point or ORP of each word. I've seen like YouTube videos that do this. Yeah. And it lets you read insanely fast. Exactly. Like you, you read the words, but you don't see the word before or the word after. So again, this tends to have a negative impact on comprehension because if you eliminate a reader's ability to go back and reread something, mm. it really takes away an important tool for understanding the text, not understanding like the full context of what you're reading. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, also what you were talking about with the rapid eye movements, it's mm. like if I look at your head and I try to draw a circle with my eyes by looking around the edges of your head... Mm -hmm. It will do it in little juts and bursts where sure. I'm like, like no matter how hard I try to draw a smooth line, it's like boop, 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 yeah. like drawing, like connecting a bunch of dots. That's interesting. And this is like a thing with the reading where your eye will keep stopping on each word. And if you take your finger and go along the word, like along the book... Because there's the actual movement of your finger, your eye can move smoothly. Ah. So that's like another technique of like helping because your eye. Because there's one focal point maybe? Is right. That well, you... because it's because the you're actually able to focus on the moving thing. Right. And your eye doesn't like stop to then take in all of the information. And, and also, while technically you don't obtain any new visual information during saccades, which is that rapid eye movement, mm -hmm. research has shown that cognitive processing continues during this time. So essentially, your brain uses those 0.1 second blips to continue continue working through what you've just read. Mm. So don't try to stop those eyes. Keep them moving. <laughs> <laughs> the gist is that speed reading is essentially just a form of skimming, right? You yeah, can, it can yeah. be used for reading shorter texts and emails and stuff, but if your goal is to read large chunks of text faster and still comprehend it, the best you could do is like read more to increase your vocabulary or speed read things that you already know a lot about. <laughs> Right. And then there's that like savant I was talking about a couple of weeks ago uh -huh. where he can see both pages, one page with each eye. Right. And within a second, he takes in all the information at once. Totally. That's why he's, That's, he's, a, he's a savant. We're just normal folks. We're regular old people <laughs> trying to read. Right. Like if it's kind of an open ended text that you're reading and then there's just like random questions, it's going to be a little bit more subjective. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you have like multiple choice. Right, and, and you, it's like, you know, so there's like some circumlocution there where you're I'm like, pretty well, sure that Jenny not. picked up the apple halfway <laughs> through the story. Right, I'm, I'm pretty sure we still don't know who is Johnny, <laughs> but. <laughs> So as far as like war robots going rogue, there have been a couple of couple of examples of this. Because really, he was a war robot going rogue. That's Johnny exactly Fine. what he was. He was so innocent, but he he became alive. Mm -hmm. So in two thousand eight, <laughs> in Iraq, there was a test of a system known as Swords. Oh. Special Weapons Observation Remote Direct Action System. All right, spell mm -hmm. the SWORDS acronym. Which is a very Johnny Five looking machine. Really? Yes. It's got two tank-like legs, camera systems, guns. It's like, it looks like a real life version of Johnny Five. Did he have his expressive eyelids? He did not have the expressive eyelids, mm. but he did have a camera on it that you could argue, you know, that's his face. <laughs> okay. At some point, the machine like wasn't supposed to be moving and it suddenly turned its guns on the American soldiers and was about to open fire, but the soldiers noticed and managed to shut it down before it did. Okay. No one was killed, but everyone was really freaked out. Totally. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, because the people who were working on this technology, like one of them had a quote about like, once you've done something that's really bad, it could take 10 or 20 years to be able to even try it again. 
Really? Like if something, if if you are trying autonomous killing robots right, and, and one like of them turns one, on yeah. the soldiers, like you're like, well, let's uh, put that tech away yeah, it was just for a, ba- a while. Right. It was just a bad apple. One right. bad and actor. Like, Don't have to throw out the whole it, bushel. <laughs> right. And they're like. No, we do need to throw out the whole bushel. Throw the while. bushel out. <laughs> Another incident that was deadly involved a robot cannon that killed nine people during a shooting exercise. So most of the time, drones are autonomous, Mm -hmm. like most of their life. It'll pick out a target automatically. It'll move into position, but then it'll wait for a human to pull the trigger. Right. And this time, and this isn't the only time that it's happened, the machine just started opening fire on its own. Ugh. And they think that the gun jammed before there was some kind of explosion, and then it just opened fire in response to that. Right. And it didn't stop shooting until it ran out of bullets Mm -hmm. which is what's going to happen in a situation like totally well because we talked about this a a bit with certainly with regard to robocop right Right. of of like when you imbue robots with that kind of power right but at the same time it's like even if you you have the mechanism in place that a human has to be the final say of when you shoot then you just have like a regular technical glitch right you have shit like this happen and there's shit like this happens Because, like, thinking about these malfunctions, it just, it kind of goes to a place, though, where it's just, like, war is dangerous. and there's going to be casualties. When testing any new military tech, there are accidents, and we often kill our own people in the Mm -hmm. process of that. Mm -hmm. Rockets explode on the launch pad, guns backfire, helicopters crash. It all happens like that. Mm -hmm. But then giving too much autonomous control over to a robot that can do these things is obviously a mistake like there's a in the new season of black mirror that just came out there's Uh an episode that basically takes place in a post-apocalyptic world where these robotic dogs that are just killing everybody right and these few people are still surviving and they don't ever explain like what happened and why these dogs are there Mm -hmm. but they're all running around just if they see a human being they kill them on a completely different angle on this (laughs) i was thinking about how like is evil a part of being alive or is that a human biological life thing yeah like uh oh i see what you're saying like like i think a lot of evil that human beings are capable of comes from needs like Mm -hmm. i need to eat i need to survive i need to succeed Mm -hmm. and those needs are not necessarily there in a newly alive robot right because they don't need to eat i mean they do need power theoretically but they don't have that inherent need, like millions of years of evolution of like survive at all mm-hmm. costs. Well, I think one thing to factor in though, because first of all, the idea of evils is is very subjective. I mean, clearly societies have found like a relative mm-hmm. idea of what good versus evil is. But I also wonder in the case of robots, like a lot of the the actions that we deem as being evil come from people that maybe are mentally ill. Or like, uh-huh. you know, when you think of like psychopathy or like people being sociopaths, I, that's such a like human mental malfunction. malfunction. Yeah. At the same time, our brains are just electrical impulses. Yeah. So is it possible that we could get any killer evil, robots yeah. that are just a malfunction of the that's totally. a really like, interesting way to look at it. Because, you know, maybe their synapses are not firing in the right way in the same way that a psychopath synapses aren't firing. You know, I think about yeah. it in that because it's you know, like nature is not pleasant a lot of the time. Survival right. does result in murder. <laughs> right. That's that's what I'm thinking. Right. That- so I get all of that. But then I think that's why the human evil seems, I think because we there's still so much of the brain that we don't understand, it's mm-hmm. hard to really pinpoint where evil comes from. Yeah. Maybe as we understand the human brain more, we'll see it more as like a specific type of malfunction yeah. that can be corrected. I mean, like we're already trying to correct it through totally. medications and 
electrotherapy yeah. when you go back to it. And it's like a robot with a personality disorder is obviously going to be doing some bad things, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, but I think that definitely ties into our whole discussions of consciousness and yeah, what that actually right. means. Well, yeah, being alive can cause a malfunction in the brain that can cause evil tendencies. And then and then it all depends on like the society in which you're viewing that, you know, like that changes, that colors the lens of what we deem appropriate. Because even as we've seen, like shit that was appropriate 30 years ago, like putting a white actor in brown face to right. play an Indian character <laughs> yeah, in short exactly. circuit is no longer appropriate. Yeah. Well, we got to love Johnny Five. And I was going to yeah. save this for favorite lines, but it's so related because at one point, Gutenberg says to Johnny Five, who told you killing is wrong? And he goes, I told me. <laughs> he did say, I told me. And, and it's we were like, both like oh, there's the poignant. Yeah. <laughs> both of us looked at each other like, wow, deep. Deep, Johnny. <laughs> And then he went back to probably watch Ali Sheedy in the bathtub. Yeah. <laughs> Soft <Hey> software. <laughs> All right. So I got started, obviously, with the whole idea of speed reading and just different learning mechanisms and whatnot. So uh-huh. I moved on to memory. And you had actually suggested that I look into the memory palace technique. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this is also known as the journey method. But originally, it was called the method of Loki. I'm going to call it Loki because Loki is the plural of locus, which means location or place. And I just oh. don't want to say Loci, so I'm just oh, not going to say it. It's L-O-C-I. Yeah. Okay, because I'm thinking of like the Loki. god. I know. The yeah. prankster god I'll or whatever. I'll just specify it's not the god Loki, but I just don't want to say Loci this whole segment, okay. <laughs> so just All deal right. with me. Anyway, <laughs> the Loki method is considered the most versatile mnemonic filing system ever devised. I like. What is the definition of mnemonic device? It's just a, like memorization technique i thought that's that what it, i thought that's what well, no no what i thought it was was like when you do that thing of like my mother loves seven sisters or oh, something like that and then okay. and then each of the letters you makes a thing understood okay so i that thought makes sense. that's what it is but mnemonic johnny mnemonic is a movie maybe we'll watch it sometime <laughs> <laughs> okay So the method was invented more than 2,000 years ago and was widely used by the Greeks and later the Romans to memorize and give speeches without notes that would last for hours at times. Mm. At that time, reading speeches to an audience was frowned upon. So like looking at your notes and being like, and then I said to line, Uh you know, like nobody wanted that. How would they feel about teleprompters? Uh, Probably not very good. They probably wouldn't feel very good about a lot of stuff these days. (laughs) But anyway, according to Cicero, this method was developed by the poet Simonides of Seos, who was the only survivor of a building collapse during a dinner he attended. Now, Simonides was able to identify the dead who were crushed beyond recognition by remembering where the guests had been sitting. So from this experience, he realized that it would be possible to remember anything by associating it with a mental image of a location. So again, it's essentially a visual filing system. It's based on the assumption that you can best remember places that you're familiar with. So if you can link something you need to remember with a place that you know very well, the location will serve as a clue that will help you remember. That's awesome. Let's start. Think of a place you know well, such as your own house. So you'll visualize a series of locations in logical order. You picture the path that you normally take in your house to get from the front door to the back door. And then each piece of furniture you pass could serve as an additional location if you like as well. You place each item that you want to remember at one of the locations. When you go through it, you just visualize. So like with this article I was reading gave an example of how it would work if you wanted to remember a shopping list. Shaving cream, peaches, hot dogs, ketchup, ice cream. Those are our items. So you visualize your house. 
you visualize your front door, you imagine spraying shaving cream all over the front door. You uh. don't you don't just imagine the word shaving cream. You have to really see it. You have mm-hmm. to imagine pressing mm-hmm. the nozzle, smelling the shaving cream, all of this mm-hmm. shit. Now you open the door, you enter the hall, and you imagine a giant peach rolling down, just James and the giant peach <laughs> rolling down the steps in the front hall and ahead of you. And then you walk into the living room and you visualize a six-foot-tall hot dog in a bun wearing a cowboy hat and lounging by the fireplace. Weird and specific things exactly. that are memorable totally mm-hmm. the more outrageous and unusual you make your mental images the easier you'll find it is to remember them so whatever i don't need to finish that there's you know there's a bottle of ketchup who's dressed in an old-fashioned maid's uniform so <laughs> use your imagination yeah. to figure out the rest yeah totally and then you can adapt the system by adding other buildings you know very well you can place more than one item in any location like if you have a 50 item grocery list you can place five items in each of the 10 locations mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. like tons of combinations yep So the thing, though, is that the Loki method allows you to remember items on a list, but it doesn't let you locate just one particular item. Like in the same way that most people wouldn't be able to name the 19th letter without you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, D, S, you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's that kind of thing. So what you can do is place a distinguishing mark at every fifth place. So you could incorporate a $5 bill into the image. At the 10th location, you could incorporate an image of a clock with its hands pointing to 10 o'clock, that okay, kind of thing. Okay, So it's a good way to at least be able to like break it up. I yeah. still am just like, fuck, I don't know, man. Well, those seem like advanced methods. That's like You don't start there. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I mean, yeah, because we were talking about maybe doing Memento or some other memory-related yeah, yeah, movie yeah, yeah. because Loki was the most popular mnemonic system until about the mid-1600s when the phonetic and peg systems were introduced. Produced. I know very little about either of these except for I saw I glanced at the peg system and it's like it's a mnemonic device that like you rhyme it's like one bun two shoe three oh, wow. tree that kind of shit but I'm like oh, what about the ones that don't rhyme zero All I know uh, is zero I'm hero, gonna just obviously. constantly think that I'm buckling my shoe yeah one two Freddy's coming for you Fre- I mean yeah all of these I'm gonna buckle my shoe while he's coming for me and I'm, that's how I'm gonna remember everything yeah, that's crazy well Dude, of all the, like, being in plays and shit and having to memorize lines and memorize facts and all this stuff, I've only ever just done repetition, right? You know, uh-huh. like, doing monologues and shit is like, just keep doing it over, and then if you don't know a word, you look at it. Right. And you, then I'll write it down and stuff, but mm-hmm. I would have never imagined, like, if all I had to do was, Im- like, imagine a hot dog in a right. bun in a top hat lounging <laughs> by a fireplace then i would have known every line yeah then i could have been the a, hamlet speech i could have been a greek orator right <laughs> two bees or not two bees are all over this house Shut up. get out so i wanted to look into what is an actual short circuit like what does that mean of course is johnny 5 short circuited and that's why does he's alive does he though I'm not sure about that. Do short circuits result from being struck by lightning? I don't think so. Okay. No, they do not, actually. I I know for a fact. That, I believe, is what's called a surge. Oh, Which I'll get into that in a little bit. Perfect. So a short circuit is basically when an exposed wire touches another exposed wire and the current winds up running along an unintended path of least resistance. Okay. So, and this can wind up in a loop, which then like the wire gets super hot because there's a lot of current flowing through an unintended spot and then it explodes and sets a fire. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes when a tree falls on a power line, there's an explosion because of the short circuit that's provided to the power by the tree. Mm-hmm. Okay. The term short circuit is regularly misused to describe any electrical malfunction. Totally. And that's, you know, makes sense because, yeah, I think Johnny Five, he was surged, not yeah. short circuited. Surge! Surge! <laughs> Fully loaded with carbos. 
Well, we're going to talk about protectors that are fully loaded with carbos. (laughs) Surge protectors. protectors. (laughs) So a surge is a sudden unexpected spike of energy like being hit by lightning. It happens a lot, especially in older wiring and Mm -hmm. older grids. So if a surge comes through your house and through your power lines, it can travel right into the electronics and cause them to overload and explode. But if a surge hits a surge protector, the protector actually shuts down the extra current and puts it to a ground wire and diverts that. And then it won't transfer all of that to your expensive TV. Gotcha. Okay. So it's not that different from a short circuit in that the electronic explodes or catches fire because a large amount of current is in the wrong spot. Uh But it's a different mechanism of what actually does it. Understood. Okay. So... The Curiosity rover on Mars in 2015 actually had a little short circuit, mm. and they the robot was in the process. <laughs> <I'm> sorry, <laughs> what he had a little short circuit. This is how you said <laughs> you know, I mean, a little dainty little circuit. Yeah, I mean they, they figured it out. The <laughs> robot was transferring sample powder from the drill to the instruments on the body, and they detected a power fluctuation, and so they just shut everything down while they figured it out. And I do like the image of these the science team who's like that dust is so close. I want to analyze it so bad and it's just like feet away like just drop it drop it it took them two weeks to figure out that there was like a short involved in the percussion instrument that they have because this is not for making drum beats right okay I was like percussion we got some rhythm going on but for hammering rocks understood and so now forever they have to be really careful about how they use that instrument because if they use it in the wrong way the short circuit will come back (sighs) that is the worst it's like right but just it's like vending machine your yeah, Reese's cup gets caught right at the edge and they're just like we can't send a repair yeah. guy it's weeks it's all later. the way out there all right all right another famous short circuit for nasa was the apollo 13 disaster was that just a short circuit in sh- in, in short, short circuit <laughs> the heaters on the ship were powered from a 65 volt power supply which is what the technicians used on the launch pad mm-hmm. when they were running the tests but the switches were actually designed for use with the spacecraft's lower 28 volt power oh, supply no. so during the pre-launch testing the safety switches weren't operational so during the testing the heater was running for hours at a time maybe raising the temperatures above a thousand degrees oh my god so that would have damaged the oxygen tank's insulation and leading to exposed wiring, which could lead to a short. So then when they're in space, Jack Swigert, one of the astronauts, initiated a routine stir of the oxygen tanks, which is basically because the oxygen in zero G will like clump up in one part of the mm-hmm. tank. And so you need to stir it, stir it up and sort of get like a accurate reading of how much oxygen is actually in there. And when the fan turned on, the wires were crossed <sighs> in the wrong spot. A short circuit happens and a huge explosion went off i mean to say it's a miracle that we got them back is yeah. like a really uh, an understatement crazy yeah well because when i think of short circuit i i'm like yeah it's no big deal probably right? <laughs> just because it's this movie i'm like if, if it has anything to do with number five then you'll be fine <laughs> you're gonna it's gonna be happy it's probably better this way <laughs> all right to round off this little learning adventure i went on <laughs> You do that every week. Right, that's true. About how people learn. Oh, My yeah. learning, oh, right. learning. You're learning about learning. <laughs> right. Thank right. you. Well, I wanted to look into this because I've often heard that you can learn while you're asleep. Or like, you know, if you're cramming for a test and whatnot, you can play a record uh, in your ears and then you'll, in the morning, you'll be fine. You know, a record really? of answers. A record of the answers to the test. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but, they, you know, there's articles that claim that you can learn music, you can hone your foreign language skills, that kind of thing. But... 
and even like you know subliminal messaging a la tony robbins that's like help you quit smoking and all this shit uh, my yeah. father made his own subliminal sleep tape well do those things work no no okay because that's what i'm like i've heard of how like sleep will help you bank learning that right. you did while you were awake right but can you learn while you're asleep? I mean, I know I was pretty quick to say no, but I'm also like internalizing my father's Calmo Floto Relaxo <laughs> tape that he played yeah, for too many years. I'm like, no, What did dad, it sound like? Calmo Floto Relaxo. Wow. My dad's the best. He's a character of characters. But it wasn't like, you don't want to smoke. I think that was, oh yeah, he did that at one point. It would be like any skill he wanted to develop, like it's gonna be fucking Matrix style, like you just plug that's, it in, it's in there. That's the thing, it's such a great like yeah. concept that yeah. you would love to be true. Tell me about it. The idea that you can learn facts and figures while listening to a recording in a hypnotic state like sleep was debunked in a 1950s experiment. Oh. Very simple. Researchers attached electrodes to the scalps of participants to observe them as they went in and out of sleep states. And while they slept, they were played a tape of a person listing 96 facts about history, science, sports, and other topics. <laughs> so then the subjects were asked trivia questions after awakening, but there was no evidence that they'd retained any of the information that was played to them. <laughs> so the researchers just kind of wrote it off as being impractical and probably impossible. Okay. Now, more recent research has tied in Ivan Pavlov's notion of classical conditioning. This is the idea that we respond to new information when it's paired with a stimulus that elicits an innate response. So a bunch of different researchers kind of tackled this. In 2010, German researchers published a study in which subjects examined specific patterns of objects on a grid before sleeping in the lab. While studying, each subject was exposed to a subtle odor in the room, which was later reintroduced when subjects were in a sleep stage called slow wave sleep. So then subjects remembered 84% of the object's locations when their memories were paired with the odor during sleep. Another example, a 2012 study by a U.S. group reported that participants were more likely to correctly play a melody in a game like Guitar Hero if the tune had been previously played to them during the slow wave stage of a 90-minute nap. Huh. Right. So the, the music was in them. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it was... It was in them. And then a recent study published by Swiss researchers suggested that sleep enhances our ability to learn foreign language words. So their subjects were presented with a series of Dutch to German word pairs at 10 p.m. And then they listened to an audio recording of those pairs until 2 a.m. Half of that group was allowed to sleep during that period. So then when they reassessed everybody, the researchers found that those who slept recalled significantly more words than those who didn't. Hmm. So the question is like, are the subjects actually learning from these audio recordings or are their memories just improved simply because they slept? Right. And that's more or less what we've talked about in terms of like memory consolidation. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk quickly about this slow wave deep sleep. Yeah. So that's been recognized for a while as critical for memory consolidation, which is the transfer of memory from short term to long term. Whereas like they previously thought or assumed that the mind would be most active during REM sleep, which mm -hmm. is when dreams occur. But it seems like this deeper slow wave sleep, which happens during the first half of the night is actually a period of significant mental activity. Hmm. Didn't know that. So yeah, when they just, when they measure using electrodes, they can see that during slow wave sleep, the waves are like high amplitude oscillations mm -hmm. and they originate in the neocortex and make a circuit with the hippocampus, which is the brain structure, which encodes new memories. Okay. Yeah. So kind of what we were saying, it's like sleep allows for newly learned information to be repeatedly activated with each of these oscillating waves. So again, it's not like if you just introduce new concepts while you're asleep that you're going to wake up just knowing something you've never known before. Mm -hmm. It's just a great way to, you know, solidify what and you've already learned. process all this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's funny because, yeah, you would think that like during a dream is where you're like, your memories are being, I don't know. Consolidated or thrown around. And stuff yeah. like that. But it's just like... Uh, 
every part of your sleep cycle is doing a different thing for your brain. Yeah, well, because then also, like, you know, dreams just sort of being your subconscious fluttering about, that Mm -hmm. still is, to me, different, I suppose, than, like, learning. And then where, like, how memory taps into that, because you only learn through memory. Right. Right. Like, yeah, so the researchers are planning to further explore this by testing whether other sorts of memories, like motor skills or other habits, might Mm -hmm. be enhanced by exposure to certain stimuli. But I I definitely thought the point of the odor was interesting. That, like, I'm a big believer of sense memory and shit like a song like who's johnny comes on mm-hmm. and you're like oh i remember what i was at the time. i mean they definitely say that the smell is the strongest association with memory oh, yeah. much oh, more man. than sight or even hearing totally but yeah the uh, there are moments like i was this past weekend i was like walking through a hotel lobby and was like whoa i yeah my ex-girlfriend from years ago might near be nearby totally like, I like, dude i had one of those where i was like going through an old memory box one of the last times i was at my mom's house and i found the fucking cotton candy perfume i used to wear like oh, that yeah? all so many suburban white girls at the time <laughs> used to wear and i like immediately just one little smell and i was like <gasps> like trans i was just like living your old life yeah y- Transplanted. I transplanted. Yeah. <laughs> Transferred? Yeah. Transferred works. Okay. Yeah. Uh, memories. They're happening they, as well. They crazy. Yeah. Oh, that's a thing. <laughs> that is. <laughs> so I looked into some of the earliest tanks ever built. Okay. Because he looks like a tank. Yeah, he does. He's got tank tracks. He's got the tire tracks. You, you know yeah. the deal. You know why I'm thinking this. <laughs> yeah. War. <laughs> what is it good for? <laughs> what Sorry. is it good for? It's good for tanks. <laughs> so in 1915, the first prototype tank, nicknamed Little Willie, which just thinking about like the names of famous murder machines are so ridiculous. Uh, like, Little Willie, Fat Man, and Little Boy. Totally. You know, like what are you? Come on, guys. Come on. So Little Willie was produced in England. It sucked. Mm-hmm. It weighed 14 tons. It got stuck in trenches a lot, and it moved at a top speed of two miles per hour. It was originally developed in response to trench warfare in World War One, and the men who like knew that this was a great idea appealed to the British Navy minister, who was a little-known man at the time named Winston Churchill. Ah, little-known Winston. To build a land boat, <sighs> as they called it. It does kind of look like a land boat. Mm-hmm. That could break through the enemy lines and move on difficult terrain. And so to keep it a secret, the production workers were told that they were going to deliver water to the battlefield. Like, that's what they said that this machine was for. Mm-hmm. And so the new vehicle was shipped in a crate labeled tank, like water tank, and oh. the name stuck. Oh, boy. That makes so much sense. Right? Like, it was a, literally a fake name for what it was, and right. then we call them tanks to this day. Love it. Which I always, for some reason, was like, yeah. the name is so associated with a heavily armored car that yeah. I didn't even think that tank would mean something Absolutely. else. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, you refer to, like, people as that. Be like, oh, man, he's a tank. He's a tank. <laughs> Which that kind of works a water for tank, man. water tanks, because those are big, too. He's I don't know. Portly. Whatever. <laughs> a second prototype, Big Willie. Mm, Big Willie style. He did have some style. Okay, okay. Was produced in 1916 and was deemed ready for battle. Mm -hmm. And it made its debut in France on September 15th. It was hot, noisy, unwieldy, and malfunctioned all the time. Yikes. But people saw the potential. Mm -hmm. And by the next year, they'd improved the tanks and started winning the war. 
But can you imagine being the first group of soldiers to see that an enemy has a tank? Be like, what the fuck is that? What is rolling over the horizon right now? But, but also like, like janky, yeah, like, like struggling, <laughs> be like, what? Uh, right. I don't. Should you well, want help? Like, I don't. You want me to help you push it? For some reason, I always assumed that they were first being built like in the 1800s, and I think the reason is because of that really stupid movie Wild Wild West, which had all sorts of fake technology like tanks right. in it. it. It was very steampunky. It was all it? steampunky, yeah. but in like during the Civil War. And so me as a kid was like, but it doesn't make any fucking sense because <laughs> the in, internal combustion engine wasn't even like around right. until the, like anyway. That's the only factual error in Wild Wild West. It's though. the only one. But it is interesting to think about the tank as being like the nuclear bomb tech of World War One. Yeah, totally. You know? Yeah. Like, this was the new big thing that's going to change everything and win the war. Well, yeah, in terms of just, like, armor, because you're like, mm-hmm. what's the biggest deterrent for an enemy not wanting to be shot and stuff? Right, right. So if they have this big, lunky motherfucker that we can't shoot through, right? even, it doesn't matter if it lumbers around. It's like Michael Myers, you know? Like, right. How is he? Oh, he always catches up to the to the victim, <laughs> even though he's moving at a snail's pace. That's exactly it. He's yeah. a tank. Tank. <laughs> he's a tank. Did you have any favorite lines? Other than who told you killing is wrong? I told me. <laughs> you didn't. I did. Aside from input, number five is alive, and nice software. Uh, right. <laughs> I did like, hello, bozos. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. He was very into the Three Stooges. Oh, yeah. Which we discovered the clip that he's watching is from a Three Stooges movie called Woman Haters. <laughs> I was just like, I, I, I. Yeah. But anyway, I liked a Hello Bozos. A Hello Bozos is great. There was another line that the military guy says oh. where he's like, he's like setting up something to go after Johnny, and he's like, we call it Operation Gotcha Last. Oh. It's like, good what? name, buddy. Was it? Was it also him that said takes a lick and keeps on ticking? Or was that... Might have been. Or was that Gutenberg? Who knows? I They're referring to the robots. That. Yeah. They take licks. <laughs> they keep They keep ticks. <laughs> yeah, one thing I wanted to mention, we didn't talk a ton about, but I think it's worth mentioning, is Fisher Stevens in this movie... He's is, in the Indian face. Yeah. It's not the most culturally sensitive take not at all in and the I, world and like since then certainly on all the like i love the 80s shows and stuff uh-huh. we kind of call it out and it's still lighthearted and everything but it just to me it just it's like a time capsule of right where we were then and where we are now and i thought i found this new york times article that aziz ansari wrote about this and uh-huh. it was it was really insightful i definitely recommend you guys reading it because it was you know he's he's not that much older than us but and like us, he didn't know when he was watching Fisher Stevens as a child that he was a white man in brownface. So that for, must have been a revelation. Yeah, and so and like yeah, he talks about how you know when he was in college, being you know just starting his life as an entertainer and as an Indian man in America, he was like, oh man, let me check IMDb, see what uh, the Indian guy Fisher from Stevens yeah, is what? Yeah, he was like, that's not a. Ah. So he kind of you know he's reconciling this idea uh, of instead of fucking casting an Indian actor, they had a white guy sit in a chair and put on an Indian color. Right. <laughs> you know, like get made up and do all of this stuff. And so the the piece talks about how he eventually confronts Fisher Stevens about this and sort of realizes that, you know, Fisher Stevens at the time is a 20-something-year-old actor who Just was, trying to make it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, the original part that he was supposed to play was like a white grad student, but then right. producers came like, to him and were like, like, yeah. fired him and then rehired him as this... 
yeah. comic relief character that the comic is he's Indian. Totally. They were like, can you play Indian? And he was like, well, I don't know. And what's what's crazy and at least nuanced about it is that Fisher Stevens like worked with a dialect coach. He was uh-huh. like e- reading Indian literature. He took yoga for a bunch of time. Like he really thought that he was like, I'm going to be an I'm going to you know, play true to this. And right. s- but, you know, after the conversation he had with Aziz, it's like what they should have done is just hire a fucking Indian actor if I they mean, wanted to do that. Duh. Yeah. Because yeah, like, <laughs> they didn't just make him Indian. He's also like kind of a creep. He's a caricature. Time. Yeah. Like <laughs> he also, yeah, they make weird jokes about him clearly being a white dude in Indian face. Yeah. Where like, like he's from Detroit like, or something. Well, no, no, they, yeah. They're like, where are you from? He's like, I am from Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. dude. <laughs> So weird. Why is it that? It's super weird. But one thing I wanted to quote from the piece was, and to anyone worried that it may be weird to cast someone who looks a certain way to play a certain part because it's not what people are used to, I say... Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's true. Arnold Schwarzenegger is an unsung pioneer for minority actors. Look at the Terminator. There had to be someone who heard his name tossed around for the role and thought, wait, why would the robot have an Austrian accent? No one's going to buy that. We got to get a robot that has an American accent. Just get a white guy from the States. And then eventually he's like, nobody really cares. Nobody cares. (laughs) I didn't know that the Terminator was Austrian. I just thought... Arnold Schwarzenegger sounded like a robot. Yeah, like the Austrian accent was robotic. Right. That's pretty funny. Anyway, read it. I like this movie. Yeah, not, it's a fun we, time. Do we like this movie? We weren't very happy. I'm not going to go rush out and see it and tell everybody that they should, but yeah. it's, you know, it, it's a it's a fun nostalgic ride. It's always, I'm more interested in seeing the sequel again because of how utterly ridiculous it is. Totally. Well, I mean, I didn't even know until you told me mid-watching this movie. That Fisher <laughs> Stevens is yeah. the star. You were like, did you know that? And then there was just like a bone-chilling <laughs> silence because I looked at him and just like, no. Yeah. <laughs> It's, man. <laughs> anyway. Johnny Five's making like little toy Johnny Fives really? for people to sell. It's a, super self aware. Yeah, and like the whole thing is like, we got a free assembly line machine. Like, I don't, it's a it's messy movie. We don't need it. It's messy. All right. Well, thanks, guys. You can find us at oh, that's a thing.com and on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at It's a Joya Mia on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Jeffrey Ekman, and you can find us next week doing another show here on this feed. <laughs> That's that. See you later. Bye. (laughs)